0: Well, the thing about Stanley is I think that he's a filmmaker's filmmaker. I mean, I think he's one
1: of those guys that if you start studying film, you start learning about filming, trying try to make film, you begin to look at his work and you just stand in awe.
2: The best in history. Nobody could shoot a movie better than Stanley Kubrick in history. to voice print identification.
0: <laughs> 2001,
1: a space policy. I'm Wes. And I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared
2: through voice print identification.
1: Open the pod bay doors, please help. June 16th, which is the day we're recording this. We were talking about this last week. Garrett Brown, Dennis Muren, and cameraman Michael Owens shoot speeder bike sequence background plates at the Avenue Gates Yeah, the State Park. this is where they were
0: walking the cameras through and yeah. speeding them up to create those iconic speeder scenes. Fantastic.
1: And look what else is happening today. Dates of test notes for Phil Tippett's effect shot animation element of unthawing Han Solo in carbonite. Cool. Jedi Creature Shop Party held for creature technician Randy Dutra's last day. Oh. And look at this. Oh. Wait. Tony and Randy? Were there two different ones? Tony plus Randy Skin Rancor. So it's like, does that mean that the animator was named Tony? And and then we got to find out more about this. But the idea of a Randy Skin Rancor. I love Randy Skin Rancor. So I'm holding... We got this today. It took a little time, but I was really impressed by the shipping, really. Prime delivers to Clavius usually every two weeks. You know, obviously it's on a blue. I, I had to resubscribe to Prime just to get this book and some hot fries. But this has got, like... I mean the great Jamie Benning and his film podcast in collaboration with the great Justin Berger, who did the unauthorized timeline of The Empire Strikes Back, he collaborated with Jamie on this incredibly dense and researched tome on everything you want to know about Return of the Jedi. Broke it down day to day, but it's not just little tidbits that might seem dry to somebody. No, look at this book and you'll see you have intricate little stories going on on every page and follow-ups to previous stories. And every few weeks, another surprising twist that comes from something that happened previously, from pictures, drawings, sketches, production notes, and our favorites, call sheets. Who's Uh, at the top of the call sheet? I don't think they would mind if I said that, yes, of course it's Harrison Ford. Uh Uh-huh. This is call sheet number twenty from February fifth, nineteen eighty two. Unit calls eight thirty. So uh, a.m. or p.m. Uh, a.m. <laughs> Although it wasn't a night shoot for uh, Jabba's throne room. I guess they weren't going to be quite that authentic. Okay, Carrie Fisher, Boosh only. Oh, um, so she's fully suited. So that, I guess they they say only so that makeup knows you don't have to bother with you know her face. Yep. she can keep the mask on. Yep. So she's got to get into makeup. At 7.30 to be ready for an 8.30 call. Harrison Ford only needs 8 to 8.30 because... He rolls out of bed looking like that. Pretty much. Just
2: relax for a moment. You're free as a carbonite. You have hibernation sickness. I can't see. Your eyesight will return in time. Where am I? Jabba's Palace. Who are you?
1: Someone who loves you. I gotta get you out of (laughs) here.
2: What's that? I know that laugh. Hey, Jabba, look, Jabba, I was just on my way to pay you back, and I got a little sidetracked. It's not my fault.
1: Look at that. 8.45 in the makeup chair for a 9.30 call is Billy D. am imagining that's because... He's going to be wearing his Clotoonian... Yeah. Fake mask, right? Okay. So, Tony Daniels, he's mentioned as... Not Anthony, but Tony Daniels. That's funny. I guess because it's a casual call sheet. Uh, Jeremy Bullock... Mike Carter, who's Bib Fortuna, and Claire Davenport. Tony Daniels, 3PO. Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett. Mike Carter, Bib Fortuna, Claire Davenport, who is Weeba Weeba. All right, so for the first shot, we have 3PO, Boba Fett, Han, and Boosh all right mm-hmm. so that's got to be a, a the carbonite yeah originally them standing up with han and the job of being revealed because toby philpot and dave barkley the job of puppeteers also have an eight thirty call it says mm. now this is the middle
0: part of the tail and this little bit is the, the little end piece which the way i move it depends on the mood he's in at the time if he's in a, a, a bit of an irritable mood i just do the little flips like you bang your Fingers.
2: If he was losing your temper or impatient, or if he's really losing his temper, give it a good old thrash on, like that, or backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And if he's in a lazy mood, to just keep it like that, nice steady movements. Ooh. But I tell you, Java's getting very good. (laughs) Yes, he's getting very good. Uh, He's almost star. Oh, good. We have to be very nice to that.
1: So those those guys, those folks, are already needed to be in the first shot. Eight thirty call. Collins keeping. Luke's double. And all the stand-ins huh. for the others as well. <clears throat> Is that for when call. they drop him into the raincore pit, maybe? Maybe so. Props, boxes, mattresses for trapdoor fall, chains, drinks, ah. food, cooking equipment, bibs weapon, boba's weapon, pig guard weapons, musical instruments, animals, frogs, etc. Dustbin robot required. Is that a gonk droid? I wonder. It's got to be a gonk.
2: He's game. the
0: that uh, mask that Lando was wearing. It's part of a an armor set called Tantel Armor, uh, which includes a Gondar tusk mask. I've never heard of a Gondar.
1: Oh, oh like tearing the ears off of? Oh no, that's a Gondar. I think that's a Gondar. Oh, look. Han wet for scene 13. Leia in bounty hunter outfit for scene 13. Okay, so that is what they're shooting, but I guess they're also getting everything ready for Luke to follow... Or no? Wait, Trapdoor Fall. They're also shooting... Oh, okay. Our department has Han Solo on wall, lowers to ground, melted coffin. And then uh, special effects calls for a harness for Mark Hamill. Light for Light Man. Wow, so Lightman was going to be here on this day, or was there on that day. <clears> day now, Lightman, fall. wasn't he supposed to be like a being of spectral
0: yeah. energy? Yeah. And they were going to make like a highly reflective suit yeah. and just light them yeah. up with
1: a crazy amount of lumen. Check out a great video on that on filmingmentaries.com. Jamie put a great video together just about, well, he's several great videos about Java's Palace, but one particularly on Light Man. Laser hit slimy tentacle. Okay, so they were going to cool. film up into the prison. The
0: Sarlacc. Of- Wait, is that what it's referring
1: to? I think is that, that the, the song... one in the prison, like the one that goes, "Ooh, how horrible, around 3PO. Oh. Uh... But anyway, this is the kind of thing you can learn from a call sheet that just makes these things so juicy. And I'm just looking at, like, that was, I just opened the book up to one thing and just read all of that stuff just now. And buy your copy, everybody. I mean, this is an incredible resource. For any fan of any level of Return of the Jedi, because it's a coffee table book as well as like a textbook in <laughs> producing a blockbuster film in the eighties. It's a great reference to Stack Next to Your Renzlers. Oh yeah, it's right up there with the great master himself, J.W. Rensler. Now this is uh, Anchorhead Publishing. Go to filmymineries.com or wherever Amazon is in your territory, because it's a self-publishing deal. And it's <laughs> now one, one, We're back, man. We had a great time. Very pleased with our yeah. scheduling and the only thing that we missed was Vincent D'Onofrio, who apparently was sitting at his autograph table just playing with a Cracker Barrel puzzle <laughs> at one point. So there had there was a lull that we missed to go up and talk to him, but I was probably distracted by that John Little tiny john wayne being smothered in a plastic bag he was horrifying scored big though in terms of i mean we didn't spend a lot of money which is part of what makes it so exciting especially you bang for the buck for sure we were in the
0: midst of collectors just throwing money around like it was going out of style yeah the great thing about the commissary is they give price points for all walks of life. Yes. Which is great. And uh, as an avid droid collector, I was very happy to snag a, a couple of cool pieces. Um, one specifically I've been chasing down is the Black Series K2SO. She yes. is now uh, joining the ranks
1: of my other droids. But I'm looking at the, getting it right um, now. I uh, scored some nice Potiffs here. Plus, I love them when they have the original stickers on them, like the KB Toys stickers. I do, too. KB Toys was a, another time and place. And yeah.
0: and you found, like, you had a very specific mission.
1: Yes, know? I was on a very specific mission for my girlfriend. A surprise to, to find her original... And chewy plush that she had as a child now that's an that's an original original chewy plush yeah. so from 1978 kenner 12 inch very fuzzy very chewy. floofy you know it almost looked like yak fur <laughs> if it wasn't it was very <laughs> authentic
0: looking fur oh man we could have uh, brought it up to that uh, museum and, and compared it there yeah that's
1: true uh anyway i found it Thankfully, and he rode home, and the back seat buckled up, of course. And of course, I was able to afford it because he didn't have a bandolier. <laughs> the one with the bandolier cost $400. Got that for a, a nice yeah. price. Yeah, and that's not even necessarily true online. Uh, most of the vendors were, as usual, very reasonable. There are uh, lots of room to grow in this place, so there are a lot of new vendors. And I was
0: not going to let this sit unopened because, no. like you said, the, the going rate for these is actually pretty reasonable. And being an avid card collector, I could not pass this up. This is a set. (laughs) Just sounded like (laughs) one of those, like, (laughs) Sunday night, late night. Oh, yeah. This is definitely QVC. QVC special. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just went into that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Seriously, though. This is a... 20 card collector set of Ralph Macquarie. I'm spinning art. it as you speak on the
1: turntable <laughs> so that you can see it with the phone number to call.
0: Very unique. You're not gonna find this in any retail store. Well, I didn't I certainly wouldn't have Have you ever seen anything? No, like it before? I haven't. But this was actually you it, did it was still sealed, before. and I had to pop this open. So check this out real yeah. quick. Uh and this is the one that had the original poster concept art, which features the
1: original Ralph Macquarie Chewbacca who became Gerizab Aurelius. So this is Star Wars, The Art of Ralph McQuarrie, 20 all-metal collector's cards, it says on the top. On and the with head. certificate of authenticity, of course. Ooh, there it is. Uh, Out of how
0: many? This is set number 9,047 of
1: 12,000. So yeah. that's actually
0: pretty yeah, that's low population,
1: a if you think about yeah, it. totally. Especially since you got one sealed that price. Yeah. Metallic Impressions, 1996. <gasps> Look at that. Oh, yeah. They're
0: beautifully packaged. I'm really glad that they did this. So each one's still wrapped in cellophane. I'll probably leave them in that because you can see them pretty clearly through yeah, that. Yeah, you can. Don't have to worry about handling them. But they're they're wonderfully, like, embossed. The colors are so deep and rich on here, too. Yeah. Again, like, as a card collector, I love just having full sets of things anyway. And I could see actually maybe making a display uh, Mm -hmm. case for these with some card stands. Um, But, yeah, they they prominently feature Ralph McQuarrie art. And then on the back have some little bit of uh, trivia and info
1: about them. That would be the coolest to have. But they fit in a cartridge like a little floppy disk storage case used to with the slots they, they look like little memory terminals or memory terminals it does look like memory <laughs> terminals if you take them all out it starts
0: singing daisy daisy you've done a spectral analysis of course i have
2: and and what dr olive i'm not taking a survey if you've done the analysis what are the results nothing conclusive Molecular breakdown? If you look carefully at the last page of the data, you will find the answers.
1: The booth, mm-hmm. the museum booth that you mentioned there. They had so many things. One of Obi Wan's braids remember some one well, they had. You were talking about Yak
0: fur yes. <laughs> earlier. The little
1: Ewok display that they had. Four different swatches of Ewok fur with the Stuart Freeborn signature all in this very nice thing with a picture. Which really makes it. me wonder.
0: So they had the Stuart Freeborn frame with the fur. Uh-huh. And they also had the twenty ten
1: Yeah, so in terms of
0: So I'm just wondering if this was a curated set that they may have been able to pop both of these off of, and they
1: also yeah. had some props from Terminator Two. They had Jar Jar's arm. They had Jar Jar's left arm with the zipper. Yeah, you could see the shoulders, so incredible, I mean, which meant a lot to me personally. And also the little piece. There was a chunk of the Lars Homestead terracotta. From... Weird. Yes, <laughs> from I guess fiberglass 76. and whatever. How yeah. you get these to make mm-hmm. those very cool. All authenticated screen-used stuff and, and authenticated little concept things like little baby Ewok feet molds, you know, things you would bronze usually as a mother. Yeah, they had the T2 outfit. You could see the cones in the metal, which show up on all the Van Ling film school of extras on the Terminator 2 DVDs, but also um, on recently in Light and Magic, talking about Terminator 2 effects. The one of the original Robert Patrick suits where the little squibs pop out these foam funnels sprayed with metallic paint to look like liquid mercury bullet holes. And seeing that up close, I mean, it was very moving to see so many of these things up close and personal, tangible and touch, but nothing like the 2010 suit. So we saw the original suit. The picture's on, on the website people probably thought we were crazy like i know the one the one thing that we that we were hovering over they're just like you you must have mistaken this for some other prop, some other movie (laughs) (laughs)
0: like no sir no we are in
1: the right place i kept (laughs) taking pictures up and down the sides of both you know and the sleeves the thing that really got me was the zippers man i was really moved by seeing the zippers they were very worn it was very
0: articulate too all the stitching was tight Mm -hmm. and i mean the The shoulders and everything just looked, I mean, it was a a beauty. Like you said. Dr.
1: Orlov's we're talking about. Dr. Orlov's cosmonaut jumpsuit, played by Oleg Rudnick. Great actor. HSPPA.com. Paragon props. Oh, and if you're into Harry Potter, they've got got original screen-worn robes from each of the houses and also wands. And all packed into one little booth. A lot, of, a lot of celebrities are packed into little booths signing autographs, but Ian McDermott was fabulous as always, the ultimate gentleman in raconteur, telling fabulous news stories. He was more comfortable even than last year. Kevin Lyle, he's a, a pro at... Uh, the- MC, yeah, and he the way
0: he paces everything is so great. He knows when to, like, take it down a notch, when to let them talk, when to ask mm-hmm. questions and, like, pull more out of them because yes. you've got different personalities. You know, some of these are kind of shy almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know when we were watching the Return of the Jedi panel, he was doing a lot of the legwork, you know, keeping the conversation going. He did a great job with that.
1: He did. Then the surprise was that Ian McDermott did pop back up for the Return of the Jedi yeah. panel. And they gave everybody else a chance to have their spotlight first before he came on. So that was nice, too. I mean, these are top pros here. I mean, we got Simon Williamson, who was Max Rebo as a puppeteer. Simon Williamson worked with the Muppets. He worked on Dark Crystal, all kinds of things. And it seemed like uh, Dark Crystal had a huge development impact for him. Yeah. He, he talked about it. He did at it. length a couple of times. Which is one of the great things about these panels because you have all these people that worked on so many different things that the conversation, especially with a great host like Lyle, it can, it, it can diverge into different streams of conversation about different topics. Like with Mark Dodson, who was the voice of Salacious Crumb. He did so many cartoon voices. He did a Gremlins voice. He, uh, he talked about basically accidentally starting his voiceover career just as uh, a college kid. I loved his story about how he was not
0: really auditioning, but, like, doing some voice, some vocal warm-ups for uh, Ben Burt. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he didn't end up taking the lion reads. He's like, no, give me the script back. Yeah, he thought <laughs> just, he messed it up. Just go do what you were doing just a second ago. And he <laughs> was just making wild noises and carrying on, and <laughs> that evolved into Salacious Crumb, our lovable monkey lesser
1: <laughs> It's fantastic. <laughs> then oh my lord the fabulous and marvelous femi taylor Help! Help! We were walking down one of the aisles, and I happened to see, you know, we were celebrities were doing autographs, and I happened to do a double-take and see Femi Taylor was sitting there, and there was one guy getting his poster signed, but there wasn't anybody behind him. And suddenly at this moment, I was just awestruck because I have been just, have been in
2: love with
1: this woman since I was four years old and suddenly to see her there it was like this queen is sitting in the middle of this establishment where people are milling around and i wanted to look around and shout to the rooftops do you not know that her highness is sitting right here like what are you people doing why are you not all lined up to come and bring her bounty and bow and you know i became i started sweating and became a best at 13 year olds and dropped all my stuff i had this willow storybook lp that i almost dinged up Wes is like trying to get, grab i was and I'm like, yeah oh let me get a witness I'll, I'll pick the picture and then then you sign it and then flat sign oh you put my name and spell it and then, okay maybe get a picture what oh yeah is this like like this and i handed west my phone and ran over there and then, oh thank you so much and i dropped my stuff again as i left <laughs> like, I told West afterwards, like, man, I, I met Angelina Jolie, Val Kilmer. Like, never really been bugged that much about it. I mean, Dustin Hoffman, that's awesome. But like this, this just like floored me. Oh, I, I bore witness to this total yeah. shutdown of facility. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh,
0: it was great. I, I really, it, when you see someone enjoying themselves yeah. that much to the point where you are reverted back, just pure kid energy. Mm-hmm that is that is where the magic's at and i've had those experiences at yeah, the con so several it,
1: times yeah I, I was looking at that picture on the way out tonight and looking at that little heart she drew me in. Oh. my heart just blew oh. a little bit Feel that body One of the cool things last year we got to do with Anthony Daniels and Ian McDermott was to, you know, basically wave and shout out, "I yeah. love you" and stuff, and take and, a secret selfie. Yeah, with them too. Well, well, we get secret. to do that with <laughs> with the notorious JRD this year, yeah. John Reese Davies. Yeah, yeah, that was wonderful. Tell him we loved him, and and apparently he listened to our. Th- three episodes about the dawn of man because he basically <laughs> spoke Just it back the to whole us, but panel, a beautiful, yeah. oh, empowering eloquence. twist. My goodness. The
2: bones or the remains of Stone Age people will find male skeletons in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even their 60s. You never find a female skeleton or skull or remain over the age of 30 the life expectancy of women up until the end of the Stone Age is about 21 years. We are descended
0: from the bravest teenage girls. I didn't know where I was. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh. Yeah. We're in a lecture hall right now. We're not even at the con anymore. We're we're in Marshall
1: College. Marshall College, yeah. (laughs) We did get active about total injustices like slavery. You know, there
2: is slavery, and we should not be allowing it or tolerating it,
1: and and yet it's under our noses sometimes. Sorry, how did I get there? Thank you to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn and Steve Bloom for I asked a question at their panel, and she gave me the best directing advice I've ever gotten, you know, film school or anything, just, just, the most concise boiling down, really, what it's all about. Yeah.
0: So, for me, the booth is a safe space. What happens in the booth stays in the booth. And you need to make the actor feel as comfortable as possible so that they're willing to step up to the mic and fail.
1: And w- one of the things that makes Mary Elizabeth such a great director, too, is how she's able to uh, transform all of the research that she's done prior to us walking into the booth into this a little tiny snippet of context and just enough so that we understand what's going on, what the consequences are, what's happened before, what's happened after, but not too much information that we get lost in our heads. It's just enough context so that we can actually deliver it with a little bit of knowledge behind it. And that really, really helps because some directors, they'll either give us way too much context. It's like, we're so overwhelmed. It's like, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Or they'll give you nothing. They'll just say, okay, you're 35 years old. You're a male. Go. Go. And then we have to make up all of the backstory about it. She gives us just enough pieces so that we can create our own backstory in our own head and then allows us to do what we do. And that's such a great gift. The Rebels panel, which was great because it was then with Vanessa Marshall. Right. and, um, And they were all just like a family they you were know, and they even though being
0: voice actors and having that they're not necessarily acting on screen together but they made it a point for these specific voice overs that the group was together and no. you could see the bond created between these uh, cast members and you know the love for the project that they had worked
1: on yeah um, his Tia yeah. car and and uh, Taylor Gray were there too. I mean was Freddie Prince jr was, was supposed to be there. He just had to cancel the last minute, so yeah, just fabulous yeah it was great to to
0: see them together and like you said, they um opened the door on kind of like the studio vibe and the process and yeah. really informative and surprisingly organic mm-hmm. show. And yeah. Mod didn't really have to do much at all.
1: They all knew each other well enough to just kind of have a conversation. Kind of hang out. And yeah. Even reminisce a little bit. That was yeah, kind was of very cool to put, see. Putting on a show for us, really. Yeah. yeah. Is there a part of your character from the show that you don't think might've reached out? Something maybe in the back of your head that you had. Sometimes you come up with a back plan for your character and it just maybe doesn't come out. Maybe that's kind of what she's asking.
2: Governor Price loved karaoke. She had a really good time. Really, really good time. It was mostly just in her own chamber, but, you know, she loved Creep. She would
0: sing Creep all the time. Very good singing voice. Very, very good. Um, Ezra's real name is Jabba the Hut. <laughs> uh, Zeb likes to juggle Thanks, mom. Hera is really big on the Subac scene. She, she keeps it on the down low, but it's, it's her little side hustle.
1: Yeah. uh, We all know that Sabine is an amazing visual artist, but what we don't know is that she is a kick-ass breakdancer.
0: Oh yeah! She keeps it it. on the DL. That was
1: some diversion, Sabine. Did the job so well, we can see the explosion from here.
2: Forget the explosion.
0: While we were at the con, at the very last part of it on Sunday, I come across this vendor that happens to have a huge box full of Star Wars puzzles and, and everything from, I think, like Return of the Jedi up to like Clone Wars era stuff. They had the Gun, Gun undersea attack <laughs> puzzle and I pull it out and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about it because i think the dude had five or yeah. seven dollars yeah. on it yeah. i'm like yeah that that price point talks to me you know for for an old puzzle i think i'll do that And whilst I'm contemplating, (laughs) the gentleman simply just walks up and offers to unload the entire box of puzzles for
1: $20. And this is like 11 or 12 puzzles here, (laughs) if not more.
0: No, I think, yeah, I think it's like 14 puzzles. 14
1: puzzles. It's a giant box. You know, and he's ready to get it. You know, that's the thing. These collectors by Sunday afternoon, get it out of here. I don't want to take it back home.
0: And... I'll tell you Brad, it was not a hard decision.
1: <laughs> That's great. It was not it was not a
0: hard decision at all. That was a great deal. I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, thank you for this gigantic box of 20-year-old puzzles, yes. 30-year-old puzzles. <laughs>
1: Three of them are already complete. They're right here on the table because there's not much to do here on the base between shifts. Oh, I know. So, so that was really a good find for that purpose. Yeah, but they're really I, I'm nice tired position.
0: of pretending to let how win at chess <laughs> no. at this point. Puzzles, so. you, you can't
1: participate. You can actually do it yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but they are beautiful pieces,
1: and uh, it, it's always surprising what you come away with. It is. That's the kind of beautiful thing about it, part of the surprise at the end, and then the experiences you have the best part about that too is that uh, i'm unfortunately we got in a pe- predicament where you were having to bench press that box of oh
0: i hold that box around for like a champion now what's so great was the gentleman told me it's like i could hold this here
1: for you i'm like oh no we're on yeah. our way out <laughs> and then we went and just snagged an interview with chuck Schlemm, the nasa jpl <laughs> communications yeah we didn't realize we weren't done yet <laughs> <laughs> so we did this entire interview which you heard on the prior mini episode and, and Wes was standing there the whole time with this box of puzzle in his hand. Yeah. Oh what was so
0: great was he was just like, oh, I'd shake your hand, you know, what, Yeah, you whatever. hear it at
1: the end of the interview. He says, I'd shake your hand, but and then, of course, you oh, manipulate no, the I thing was around. Not, yeah, I was not about to like, leave him
0: hanging No, after that wonderful interview. So, no, no, totally. I, I put the behemoth down and
1: uh, gave that man the firm grip. Absolutely. The
0: five-fingertip grip. Yes. What a gentleman and <laughs> a scholar.
1: So great. Thank you. Watch you him go. I could watch him for hours. Amazing. Tell you all about it. And really inspiring stuff. So great to see him talking to kids so long that was what it was yeah i think um that that is a passion that i feel
0: building my heart every day is is getting out what we saw so you remember that kid that was at the booth at the jpl booth for like an hour yeah, and a really half. Nice. And he, first, it was
1: him. Then his dad came. Oh, over. I know. Yeah. It,
0: it, what would you say? Maybe like a nine, ten-year-old, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere around that yeah. age. And he's at a Star Wars convention. Right behind him were like all kinds of crazy, you know, props and toys and anything that his heart could possibly desire. But now he's he's talking, you know, directly to this ambassador from jpl specifically talking about using sci-fi as a medium to talk to kids about stem and steam and all that so awesome as just a um a level of appreciation that i don't think i'll ever get over yeah no absolutely
1: i have a, i generally have a picture that i put out showing a tie fighter going down the highway on the back of a flatbed yeah. truck and just to show me these are real Now all we got to do is figure out how to make them go. Yeah. And we need the propulsion. And every one of these propulsion systems didn't exist until they did. Until somebody figured it out. And there's no reason to say that we won't figure out something
2: like any one of them. The battle station is heavily shielded and carries a firepower greater than half the Starfleet. Its defenses are designed around a direct large-scale assault. A small one-man fighter should be able to penetrate the outer defense.
1: John Mallow, the costume designer of Star Wars, said that he was approached by Lucas after Barry Lyndon. Man.
0: He started really as a historical advisor on films like Charge of the Light Brigade. He then went on and worked with Kubrick. He'd just finished uh, working on Barry Lyndon as a historical advisor. And following that, he was recommended by the costume designer from
2: uh, on Barry Lyndon to uh, George Lucas um, because uh,
0: she couldn't, she was booked up. She couldn't do the job. And so my father really was catapulted into pre-production for Star Wars on what was his first credit as a costume designer.
1: He had designed wardrobe on Barry Lyndon, but that Star Wars was his first soup credit as a costume supervisor.
2: John, I think, was one of a kind. Um, I think the military background can be seen from his sketches, it can be seen for how he develops an idea. Um, uh, And and yes, he was, he he did stand apart because he was
1: so attentive of detail, but not the detail that majority of designers would do, which would be about braiding and lace and everything. John was
2: meticulous about detail that other people wouldn't wouldn't think about doing um he was very special he was a really special designer
1: malo then went on to do the costumes for alien no way as well as empire Strikes oh my Back. goodness john you actually got plaudits for the work on stars in the former
2: two academy awards as well as all the fan oration you've had once you've done that once you've got
0: those academy awards you worked on alien as well what did you find any extra pressure then on your on your work because you'd won these kind of well, highly regarded. Applauded for it.
2: Uh, not really. I think the main advantage of of, of, of getting the Oscar was um, having having made a lot of commercials with Ridley Scott before, even before Star Wars. Uh, he never he never thought of employing me on a film until I won the Oscar for <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars, and he immediately rang up and asked me to do it. But um, no, I mean it's, it's a great honor and. Um, it's it's a nice thing to well but it, it didn't really it didn't really alter my career um, dramatically um, you know it's really the people you've worked with and the directors you've worked with uh, that count.
0: so in barry linden he was doing i mean we're talking period piece yeah costume do you say he was supervisor for mm-hmm. that set uh, he was at least designing uh, costumes and the costumes there. in barry linden are Gorgeous! Yes. They're so intricate and absolutely. Uh, you get so many great colors and like, totally. textures. That's very interesting because both, I would say, both Alien and Star Wars have more of like a drab feel, mm. not in the negative sense of the word, but yeah, in, in a very like weathered kind mm-hmm. of the the rebels. On the hoff battle everyone's basically just wearing their alpine ski jumpers yeah yeah it's <laughs> not a whole lot going on
1: uh, but those outfits were cool and that chunky look that came from mobius the some of the chunkiness in the star wars universe also came from heavy metal inspiration really mm-hmm. and some of
0: the sci-fi illustrations that alejandro uh Jodorowsky does. yes those some of those panels are so intricate they feel like you know when you get that first flyby of the death star and you see just how incredibly detailed it is with all the laser turrets and the trenches and just block upon block of all these different modules Mm -hmm. and that kind of aesthetic, I think, could have been inspired by some of those pulp comics and, like uh-huh. you said, heavy metal. I'm not sure if Yodorowski was published in heavy metal. I feel like he would have been. He did so many collabs with Mobius,
1: though, I yeah. just assumed. But I, I yeah,
0: that's, I just figured that would have been it. But, and I guess a lot of his stuff, I don't know if it was localized true, oh. quick enough for it to really be published in a serialized manner. Um, they would have had to go very quickly from... Spanish to English. Yeah. Uh, for some of those, but yeah, that sci-fi aesthetic is where everything is just very intricate, lots of you know, shadows on angles and really harkens to the like 70s 80s comic fantasy mm-hmm. stuff. Very cool. Wow! Alors là, chapeau. Mais comment je vais le celui là Il est I was really hoping to see more than the sequels where they were going to bring back like B wings and yeah. definitely some of the like weird snub craft yes. that the rebel fleet pull out and mon exactly. calamari ships yes more ships more yes. ships more ships please we love the ships from discovery to
1: a pod pod through a wormhole to Tatooine, <laughs> rose Isley. oh man he ships in and out of there all the time yeah the choreography of the battle sequences and the dog fights is itself a dance much like the waltz the, the way maybe a different speed but the movement's the same could you imagine
0: watching uh x-wings and tie fighters go at it <laughs> With Blue Danube blaring in the background.
1: <laughs> well, there's a guy on YouTube close enough who oh, has done two videos. One is Star Wars, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and the other one's 2001, directed by George. I've Lakers. seen the thumbnails for these actually, and um, they're really I'd great. I put them in my back pocket, so I'll have to check them. Yeah, out. they're really fun and well done, so you can kind of see what that would be like. It celebrated the beauty of space travel and the beauty of design and the beauty of motion. The whole idea of that movie is that space and space travel is exquisite.
0: You know, if we really think about it, Bowman becomes an E.T. to another planet. Mm -hmm. He's on his way. He's restored life support. He's uh, got the ship heading in the right direction. And, you know, we're hauling ass towards Saturn at the first, you know, kind of juncture here. What he was going to do was just kind of hang out until he reached his destination. So he rigged up a bunch of emergency systems just in case... There were some catastrophic hull failures, and um, he's kicking back. He's probably (laughs) taking in the ridiculous shock and revelations that he's, uh, you know, had come to pass and stealing himself for the mission ahead because he gets a message, you know, right after this cataclysm from the head honcho himself. And what's he telling him to do? he's got to continue the mission. Yeah. The original concern about TMA01 and how it came to be placed on the lunar surface, you know, they originally thought it was like a terrestrial country that had some kind of malicious intent, um, you know, vis-a-vis like Cold War spy technology or maybe like a missile apparatus for, you know, the <laughs> impending destruction of another country, yeah. but they kind of proved that to be false and still didn't really have any evidence to prove that it was extraterrestrial either Mm. you know the way it was sunken into the ground Uh the way the geologists were able to prove that it had been there for thousands of years yeah so there was that small notion that it could have been some kind of interplanetary Mm. life that had placed these
1: monoliths onto the surface. Interesting. It's interesting how much of the book is actually spelling out conversations that are are had by viewers of the film. I think
0: Arthur C. Clarke's vision was so complete; like he took the script and took his own futuristic interpretations and filled in all of the off-screen um, and unsaid kind of conjectures that happen and. It's a nice companion. I I wish, you know, people were like, yeah, listen to Pink Floyd and (laughs) watch Wizard of Oz. No, read Arthur C. Clarke, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then watch the film. Yeah. I think that would be a a great bearing. Uh, You don't really hear that combination often, though. No. And you get all these secret messages, too. So it's really fun.
1: Especially since they were racing to come out first, I mean. The, the relationship, it got a, little, got a little weird there at the end because uh, Arthur C. Clarke was racing to beat Stanley Kubrick to the clock and, and releasing the book before the film, which, of course, made Kubrick very nervous and a little angry because he was afraid that the whole movie would be spoiled by releasing the book first. And of course they were deviating from each other slightly as the production went on. So what you kind of get is a bit of a Rashomon. Absolutely. Which just kind of adds to the, to the enigma.
0: Every viewer has to make up their own mind about what the film is about. They have to make their own connections.
1: The mystery of the
0: obelisk was incredibly provocative. The essential reason
2: is not possible to comprehend intellectually. It is m- much better to to leave the end of 2001 and the whole story, in fact, as it stands, unexplained, as a bow to the unknowable. All of us had hours of putting our feet up on somebody's couch and going, okay, what did this mean and what is this really? I mean, it's one of the most thought-provoking movies ever made. And no, I don't know what it meant, but just having a movie that I enjoyed that much, even without knowing what the thrust of it was.
0: Do you remember them talking about how the angle of the ramp had to be yes. <laughs> like a very forgiving i can't remember what it was like 30 degrees <laughs> or something like that because anything else was just you would f- tumble off the front of the ship <laughs> but yeah i couldn't imagine coming off of one of those um the tiberian cr- uh, class yes. the um, <laughs> imperial shuttles how <laughs> they're like 30 feet off the ground yeah. you know <laughs> like
1: <laughs> and, and it's like, especially if you're Ian with contacts in or Anthony with a mask on, you can't see, yeah. see a thing. Having to shuffle. I,
0: I can't imagine. So. The scene um where Vader lands on the Death Star and he comes out of that fog embankment of a landing pad. I mean, he's already got the sunglasses yeah. on. He's got the blue, he's got the like polarized blue blockers on going to the beach. Now he's gotta roll through this like pea soup of a fog yeah. <laughs> in a room that's nothing but like silver and white and grey. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> And Dave Frost does a lot of going up and off ramps. He yeah. goes up and down ramps all the time. Yeah, I'm guessing he just learned to do it blind i guess so and just the warm walk straight and don't lean in yeah with those really really
0: big scenes how do they do um positioning you know what i'm trying to say like like their um when they hit their points the marks i'm using the wrong yeah. terminology but yeah keeping a set clean but still having like points where you know you've hit because these are giant halls I mean these stages are absolutely massive, doubled in effect with some
1: practical magic but Mm -hmm. um, still they're massive, they fit so many people in them. That's the thing about film instead of uh, theater when you're rehearsing the scant amount of time when you're filming that you actually have to rehearse, when you're going to hit your mark you better find it with a visual cue of some kind you're not going to be, or counting it, I think a lot of people do that that makes sense. So you don't have to put the painter's tape on the floor.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put it on the Imperial Star yes.
1: Destroyer. Of course, in the destroyer. old studio days, they mm-hmm. would do that. And that's one of the reasons that Spencer Tracy in his later films is always looking down, meditating about something shuffling around. is because he's looking <laughs> for his mark. <laughs> uh, I
2: love that. Uh, the important thing is the rehearsal. But it was a difficult scene emotionally. Right. Which is when you really talk to the actor, you know, to try to get them up. To that emotion you, you, you shoot it you first rehearse it and the actor doesn't give everything on a rehearsal no good actor does they hold back and then you say okay let's shoot it and the adrenaline comes up with the actor and you shoot the scene and everybody feels it was pretty good and you feel it didn't go high enough and so you go over to the actor quietly and you say you know I think we ought to do this again so you talk about just that scene you know that this is the end at the end of this scene you know that you're going to break down because you can already feel it you're feeling that it's welling up inside I want to see that Hmm. So you're giving them a specific feeling that you're trying for. You're not giving them a line reading. You're not saying do it again. You're talking to them. Now sometimes, and they get it, sometimes you really don't know what to tell them. Every director's gone through this. You don't know. Now, I've been on the set with directors like Willie Weiler, who said, let's do it again. Or Kubrick. I've been on the set with Kubrick. And Stanley would say, oh, do it again, please. Do it again,
1: please. Do it again.
2: Wouldn't tell them what to do. And they worked themselves up. They get disgusted.
1: They finally do it. But yeah, I can't imagine on these, like the Death Star polished floor, for example. Yeah, you'd have to count it off. You'd have to be very precise with your steps, mm-hmm. I guess. So. It's incumbent in on everybody to hit their mark, but it's also, it's that much more onus on the director with the time ticking Mm. to go ahead and get your shot composed and figure out where you want everybody to be placed and get your ad on that because you're not going to have much time to do it jeez it's a lot of moving parts there is a lot of moving parts with matching in some cases then background mats right yeah big crowd scenes where two-thirds of the crowds maybe are matted in Mm -hmm. so you got to get people to stand exactly the way they do when they fade off into paint that's just magic yeah that's one huge difference
0: in the comparison here so i mean we've got less than 10 people usually uh, on screen yes. at all times yes in 2001 and you know star wars you have nice little solo adventures but you also have these massive scenes full of hundreds of people especially some of the imperial
1: scenes where there's just like
0: regiments yeah. of
1: stormtroopers and mm-hmm. Which, and this is, you know, one of those really dumb hypotheticals maybe, but do you think if Kubrick had not only the benefit of ILM and everything, which of course came from him, so it is a cyclical, unanswerable thing, but pretending that he cloned himself, or you can just imagine that if he were able to make it today under the circumstances that everything has happened today the way yeah. it has, I can't I know, even no, say. I'm with it. you, though. I'm but with you. If would he change anything? No. Would there be crowd shots? No. and CG man? No. And...
0: I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think there would. It's not necessary. And I think it, like, it kind of plays with the theme of the whole thing: the the Odyssean journey, mm-hmm. the traveling through space. I mean, the complete aloneness that these characters have to feel. I think it would be stymied by. Any kind of like, even if they were trying to do some shots from Earth showing about how everyone's being held by this nuclear (laughs) kind of Holocaust doomsday situation, I don't think any of that would have changed how he uh, how he shot it. Which is interesting. That is fun to think
1: about. Yeah, it's probably hard for anyone under the age of twenty to believe that we didn't have computers back in the sixties. But I don't think he would have done any other way. Even if he had digital technology like we have today, I don't think he would have
0: changed it in terms of the way the film looked they were doing then what we're doing
2: now so it was really looking forward and that's why the stuff was seamless
1: because if you look at ai if you can pretend which is a circus (laughs) yeah quite quite literally yeah (laughs) but if you can pretend that he had done it and you can you know go to the dvd features and find a lot of work the brian aldis interviews the storyboards some of those sketches and and story notes where if he had done it it would have kind of looked like that. It would have kind of looked like the way Spielberg did even though he added his flair to it. It would have had the crazy big city with the Chihuly women sculpture, freeways and the metropolis things with the crazy sex clubs and the, you know. But then you think about it it's like no no wait a minute. You go back and you look at it. Well, they're populated they're not other than the flesh fair. They're right. not packed in. Really, it's people not. just kind of moseying around the same way they are on Space Station Five. It's just to show you that it's a, a living place, yeah. and
0: yeah, none of that takes away from the you know foreground actors. It's usually just mm-hmm. one or two at a time. That's
1: it's cool. like it's all showmanship. It's it's showing mm-hmm. amazing stuff. You don't get lost in the shot though. Yes. <laughs>
0: Here,
2: kitty, kitty. That's where the agency held my tryouts when I was made new. That's Tails. Very hoity, squeety. I get to be asked to perform that. Only sunrise gents and sunset ladies. Strictly Sierra-class robots who have no idea how to live, can't even speak English, all made in Sweden. Couldn't tell a joke from a poke.
1: One last little nugget on Colin Cantwell. I don't, e- I don't even know what this means, but it just sounds like the coolest thing ever. Cantwell was one of the first people George Lucas brought on board to what was then called the Star Wars. He was introduced to Lucas by Hal Barwood, who was working on American Graffiti. Whoa. Good old Hal, college buddy. Cantwell invited Lucas over to his house and showed him his steampunk-like superiority machines. What? What? <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Which led Lucas to believe he was right for the project. <laughs> Lucas had admired his work on 2001: A Space Odyssey and gave him a copy of Adventures of the Star Killer episode one of the Star oh, Wars. Cool. And it all started with the Superiority Machine. I love Superiority Machine. That's definitely C3PO
0: in <laughs> a nugget.
2: Hundred <laughs> percent.
0: That's great. <laughs> That's what he was designed to do. That's perfect. <laughs> We just lost the main rear deflector shield. One more direct hit on the back quarter, and we're done for. Turn her around!
1: I said, turn her around! I'm going to put all power on the front shield. You're going to attack them? Sir, the odds of surviving a direct assault on an Imperial starship—shut up! I was trying to figure out what it was. I was trying to think of um, what are the. The walkers in Boba Fett.
0: Those were so cool when Ooh. they would build
1: those. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Also.
2: This is an Imperial Patrol. Stand by for transponder scan. ID found. What's out there? Arrestor cruiser. Cantwell class. Three clicks and closing.
0: Is there something wrong, patrol?
2: There's been partisan activity in the area. This is a piracy zone. Oh, thank you for the warning, I'll, I'll be careful. You'll be standing by,
0: is what you'll be doing. Power the track to be Man. Just keep going back to Watto's junkyard. I can't help it, dude. I mean, what does Watto bet on? Pod racing. Pods. He saw this pod and was like, I gotta have it. You gotta have that pod. And then couldn't figure out what
1: to do with Where it. Where you put the engine? <laughs> <laughs> He's like,
0: I haven't seen a decent over a hundred years.
1: Hey, what the little arms,
0: dude?
2: <laughs> <laughs> the boy's good. No doubts there, huh? Well, I have acquired a part in a game of chance, the fastest ever built. I hope you didn't kill anyone I know for it, huh? <laughs> so, you supply the pod and the entry fee. I supply the boy. We split the winnings fifty-fifty, um, I think. Huh?
1: You know there must be something in Coruscant too, right? I mean, that place is so big. There's so many buildings. There's a there's an upside, or there's like a sideways Millennium Falcon. There's like these upside down I Arcturus mean, 2 can buildings. tuck the Discovery <laughs> I can in it anywhere. can totally put them anywhere. <laughs> Polis Massa also kind of has a bit of a wheel. Look right. So when when they take Padme to the hospital to give birth, you get one kind of big exterior shot. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) just
0: that. That hospital is not not accredited in any sort of way.
1: I don't know how she ended up there. Yeah, well, I thought you were saying it's boobahs. It's actually it boobahs. run by the boobahs. Exactly. Subatomic particles. <laughs> Which are terrifying in their own Right front. around in their poo balls.
2: Somebody's coming.
0: It's brother and sister. <laughs> this weekend, Simon. Yes. You can actually lose the will to live and die from it.
1: From losing the will to live? Yes. <laughs> Sir, uh,
2: you are now looking, I must say, not any older than you did 10 years ago. You are now 2013. Yes. What?
0: What has kept you alive?
2: Will to live. Ah, yes, that that is the will to live. Is Not the will to live. Doctor to live. Doctor will to live. (laughs) Oh, oh, man, the skeptic alive. Doctor William to live. live. uh, William uh, to live, a genius. uh, genius.
0: So Padme definitely could have just definitely just died because (laughs) she no longer wanted to live. Medically, she's completely healthy. For reasons we can't explain,
2: we are losing her. She's dying. We don't know why. She has lost the will to live. We need to operate quickly if we are to save the babies. Babies? She's carrying twins.
1: Well, we've all heard those stories, right? You yeah. Know when you get family members that have been together for 60 years. And, uh, which makes things very dangerous. It just shows that. Reading YouTube comments is dangerous.
0: <laughs> Some Twitter posts can do that to you, too.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Psychogenic death is real.
0: Psychogenic. Wow. And uh, that is just a fancy way of saying, just giving up on life.
2: <laughs>
0: Dog, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> bye. Oh, this is even better. This is even better word than I had. Give up-itis. Give up-itis. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, during a psychologically traumatic situation that feels inescapable, the sufferer responds to this in the only way that they know how to, which is just to die. So, yeah, no more, uh, no more dogging that scene, y'all. Animals, (laughs) yeah, animals do it. We're animals.
1: Yeah. It wasn't Even that writing. Please
0: do it. This was yeah. predictive writing. <laughs> this was cutting
1: edge Look, You just What's weren't ready it? for it. George. Nobody was ready. George is always twenty or thirty years ahead. That's why he's always so confusing. <laughs> uh, yes, Seth Rogan, he really does have a private space shuttle. In thirty years you will realize how much sense that made. <laughs> From Clavia Space, I'm Brad.
0: And I'm Wes. Signing off.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye.